on your life, Perak Yates, chapter 19. And we begin with a story. This story takes us back to the times of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya. And the Alter Rebbe had a very, very um, interesting structure to his court. Um, unlike any other of the Rebbe's Chabad. And just to understand that uh, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, was a, a uniquely brilliant person. Very uniquely brilliant person. Um, like, much heads and shoulders above his generation. Like, from a very earlier time. That, that sort of, uh, that sort of brain. His students were people who were extraordinary students. Extraordinary teacher has extraordinary students. So he had, like, the masses, who obviously, you know, he gained more and more followers as his life progressed. But the inner circle were students who were very, very high caliber. And he had three levels. Three levels. And the highest level were people who knew the entire Talmud, talking about all 2,700 whatever pages of the Talmud, by heart. So we're talking about, including much else, we're talking about geniuses. So a story is told, it's recorded by the previous um, Lubavitcher Rebbe, about a, a young man um, whose name was Dov Zev. Dov Zev. And this young man came to Liadi, which is the town which Alter Rebbe was the rabbi in. And he immediately went to the highest level. Such a brilliant scholar. Not only was he brilliant in scholarship, but he was also very sharp. And he loved debating. And uh, he became known as like, you know, the, you know, the person who could win any debate. Very, very sharp. Um, and he really, really enjoyed himself there. He really liked it. it he found, you know, his, his uh, intellectual peers. Um, but one thing that he didn't really, he didn't really um, get involved in was the study of Siddhis. So, by Alter Rebbe was a brilliant scholar in the revealed parts or on the body of Torah, as we described in Amudic scholarship. In fact, Alter Rebbe was was an author of the Code of Jewish Law. There was an earlier Code of Jewish Law, um, the main Code of Jewish Law called the Shulchan Aruch which was written in the 1500s. But a few hundred years later, it was, it was appropriate another time to write an, a further edition of the Code of Jewish Law because much of what was written in the previous Code of Jewish Law didn't incorporate all the, uh, all the contemporary Allah questions, right? So Al-Tarabba wrote a Code of Jewish Law, which till today is used. So we're talking about the real, real brilliant Talmudic mind. But on the other hand, he wrote the Tanya. We're talking about a great Hasidic Kabbalistic mind. This... Dovzev never really got involved in the Kabbalistic stuff. And it took a few years, but all of a sudden, there was a noticeable change. Not only in his attitude, that he'd started incorporating also a study of Hasidus, but also in his um, general personality. There's been a change. There was a sense of humbleness that came over him. It wasn't before. Before he was just a sharp guy, and the sense of humbleness came together. And, and some of the friends... Wanted to know, is there a uh, is this a coincidence? Like what happened? So he said, I, I it was one time they were sitting there having a fabrengen, having a gathering. We we're talking, and he said, I I'll, I want to tell you what happened in a private audience, which I went into the Rebbe altar Rebbe. I, I had a private audience with him, and this is what happened. This is what I walked in, and I 
and he and he obviously knew me. He was a, he was he was a teacher. He said, um, Alter ever said, how are you enjoying? He says, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it immensely. I'm enjoy, you know, he really he was really enjoying his um, his time. So Alter ever says, is are you missing anything? He says, I'm not missing anything. So Alter was silent and contemplated for a few minutes. And then he told him like this. He said, Gashmias and Ruchnias, which is materialism and spirituality, are essentially at odds. And what's good for your materialistic life may not be good for your spiritual life. And what's good for your spiritual life may not be good for your materialistic life. Then I'll have a thought for another few minutes. And he looked up and he said, Satisfaction, the feeling of satisfaction, is great for your materialistic side and is detrimental for your spiritual side. As an example, obviously, obviously, um, returning a comment to, to the fact that Rev Dovzev said that everything's great, he's satisfied. And not to ever thought another few minutes and he said, like this he said, a man is a candle, a candle composites four elements. There's the container, there's the fuel, there's the wick, and there's the flame. Standard person going through life is set to go. They have a container, they have the fuel, they have the wick. But you need to bring the flame. Because until you bring the flame, your candle is not is not is not purposeful. How do you bring the flame? This is not that I ever told him. He said, you have to take a stone and hit it against the Nepesha Bahamas, the animal soul, which we discussed extensively, right? The side of you that's, that's, um, that's driven towards natural tendencies and light the spark. Meaning by really, um, by really working with your animal soul and, tr- and trying to hit it, so to say, in, in, the, in the spiritual sense, by working with it, not letting it just be, you will spark the flame within your soul. That's what the Al said. It's the end of the story. And, the, and he left this and there was a notable difference. In him. He realized that scholarship and learning and debating is not all. You have to also cultivate your personality. You have to also become a more humble person. So this is the pathway that enters this chapter in Tanya. Because this chapter in Tanya is going to discuss why is it that people compared that candle. Why is it we find that people are compared to that candle? Before we get to that, let's just give you a little bit of background. Why are we discussing this? Why are we talking about people and candles? The back, the, 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 in our journey through Tanya, we're at an interesting place. So just two sentences on, uh, on how, how we got here. We discussed what the, the proper spiritual structure of a person is, where they could be, where they could reach. And we're trying to reach the state of Bainani. That's what we strive for, that our thoughts, speech, and actions should be on a constant basis only for good things, only for godly things. And now the Alter Rebbe, once we understand that, wants to explain how to attain that. So there's a seven-chapter series, starting from chapter 18 through 25. This seven chapters are like, a logical, Kabbalistic logic 
It's a, 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 a Kabbalistic way to logically think in order to bring yourself to come to this state of being a person who has that perfect thought, speech, and action. And the way we're going to do it is based on, as we explained in the last chapter, and chapter 17, really, it's based on a gem, fundamental teaching of Hasidus, which starts already from the Baal Shem Tov. That every single person is born naturally with a connection to Hashem that lays dormant, but it's always there. And it just needs to be revealed. And the Alter Rebbe is going to teach how to reveal it. So chapters 18 and 19 are describing what is this connection to Hashem. You having your soul, deep connection to Hashem? What is it? How do we describe it? How do we eat it? So chapter 18 and 19 is actually describing four different components to this natural connection to Hashem, which the Alter Rebbe called in previous chapter, chapter 18, the words Ahava Mesuteres. Get that? Ahava, which means love. Mesuteres, the hidden. The hidden love. Why is it called hidden? It's pretty obvious because it's, 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 it's hidden. The hidden love to God. It's hidden, but it's always revealable. Okay? Last week, we discussed two components, two ideas. Number one is what is its source? Where is it sourced? And number two is how is it hereditary? Because we said it's naturally from birth. We described because the forefathers and the foremothers were people were so nullified to Hashem, so connected to Hashem, they had this gift. That the gift is that the, the gift is called the Jewish soul. And the Jewish soul, which, which throughout the generations, anyone who's born to a Jewish mother or convert Allah has this Jewish soul, automatically has built in it this dormant love that's always sitting there. So you have it no matter what. Even for 70 years, you have no connection to God. For 80 years, you have no connection, no connection whatsoever. It could always spark at any second. This is there. That's what we discussed last week. This week, we're going to discuss its nature. Its nature. Okay? So before we discuss its nature, let's discuss the word nature. In this chapter, the Rebbe gives a definition to the word teva, which in Hebrew means nature. How would you define nature? A precise definition. So, the Alter Rebbe gives this following definition, and this is obviously contrast because every definition has its anti-definition, has a contrast. Contrast Teva to Ness. Ness means miracle. That's what we call it, Ness. But whatever is Teva is not Ness. That's the contrast here in this definition, meaning that God obviously created the world, starting from that axiom, and God's creation of the world could have been its on God's prerogative, obviously. So you say rules of nature... The, the, the rules are never are not really set in stone. It's Hashem decides to set them in stone, right? Sometimes the rules of nature are upended for miracles. So the author ever says like this. I'm going to just tell you what exactly he says and we can discuss it. He says, nature, the nature of, 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 uh, of the world, of any components of the world, if you say that this is the nature, the rules of nature, is anything that you do not understand. It's where the search, it's where the science, which is the process of searching for why or how and the understanding this world that we have ends. Anytime that said, okay, we can't understand, we say it's a nature. It's nature. Nature is where you're comfortable not understand. Nature is where you're comfortable say, ah, I don't understand. So really, the, the difference between Ness and nature is there's not really much of a difference. It's all God's had working. One is the common way, one's the uncommon way. 
But the uncommon way, you never you never feel satisfied with the search. You say like, hey, something's 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 off here. Something's off here, right? The miracle, it, it so boggles the mind when you see a miracle that for generations people will talk about it. For generations will talk about it, a miracle. Right? We're still talking about the splitting of the sea, for example. Again, it, that's how, that's the round, that's how, um, that's how um, big uh, a miracle is in our eyes. Nature, we, we take it for granted, the fact that the sun rises, sunset, take it for granted, because that's where we're comfortable with saying we just don't understand. As long as you can keep on searching for questions, you don't say that, 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 that that's its nature. As soon as the scientific process ends, you say, hey, that's the nature. That's or they said the rules of nature. Okay, fine. Now leave that aside for a second. And now I'm going to just focus on a very fascinating piece of the round by Maimonides and his first chapters in the entire book. 14 books. Maimonides wrote 14 books of Jewish law called Mishnah Torah. And in the first of the book, he writes on the fundamentals of Judaism, fundamentals of the Jewish faith. The first of all fundamentals is understanding and cultivating an understanding of God, knowing that God is the source of all existence. Okay. Then Ramakum says something really fascinating. In order to understand God, you have to understand his creation. Because if you understand his creation, if you understand the magnitude of his creation, that's the key. You understand the magnitude of his creation, you understand that the creator of this is so much more, then you'll have such a such a uh, appreciation, a love, an awe for this being. If we just go through the world and we don't uh, we don't give a second thought, then we also don't give a second thought about God. But if we contemplate the world and understand the magnitude then we'll have an appreciation for God. So he's still in his halachic work, he <clears throat> he spends time giving us some basic facts of astrophysics, of um, spiritual creations like, like angels, um, of actual physical phenomena, just so we should get an appreciation, focusing on like big stuff, things that we, that we don't tend to think about. So for example, space, right? So it's fascinating that I'm sure all of us have a certain image of how space looks like, at least our galaxy, because we're taught in school, you know, different planets, different. Our solar system has um, has uh, has some sort of structure to it. Now, who made the structure? Who made the structure? So scientists made that made the structure because they they assign different names and different. So the Rambam structure is almost exactly similar. Okay? He describes that we have nine planets, or now eight planets. Controversy about how many planets there are in our solar system. But the Rambam talks about nine general orbits of, of space. Just giving you as an example of what the Rambam um, um, writes in his, uh, in his work, that these nine, um, these nine general circles reflect kind of the the planets. He includes the moon as the inner orbit. So the round on the moon is the first orbit, and then other planets. The ninth circuit is the vastness, is the rest of all the stars and everything, which has a different revolving daily rotation than the other planets. That's how the round 
and describes it. And here's a place to, to say that the Rambam was unequivocally held that the earth was at the center of the solar system, not the sun. That the earth is stationary and the sun is one of the orbits. The Rambam in Talmud holds that the earth is at the center. The Rebbe defends this position, by the way. The Rebbe defends this position saying it's not wrong. The Rebbe defends this position by saying that that, you, by, that living on one of the revolving bodies, it's impossible scientifically to know which one is revolving around what. So the Rebbe defends that position. Whatever, it's, it's not for now. It's actually a, a very fascinating uh, debate. But for, for, for a large portion of history, even science held that, that Earth, Earth at the center of the solar system. Anyway, it says the Raman like this. Okay? The Raman says like this. In creation, there are two general elements that go into any creation. Kabbalah calls this Chaymer and Sura. Chaymer means the material. Sura means the form. So all creations that we're familiar with, tangible, have both. Everything has some substance. Everything has a form. There are some creations, says the Ramam, that have one. So they'll have a substance, no form, a form, no substance. So for example, what's a form and no substance? The A doesn't have a tangible substance, but it has a form. And the Ramam describes a form, it has, it has a definition. Like you know where angels ends and begins, even though we're talking spiritual worlds, but the very fact they're calling it an angel and has a name, that means it has some sort of form, but there's no substance to it. Meaning, as um, as we learn in Fasidith, explaining this concept of Kabbalah, Surah not only means a form, but connected to it, you have to understand how this connects, is purpose. It's purpose. So meaning, right, the table is made out of substance, but it's form, its form is, brings its purpose, and its purpose is based on its form, not on its substance, right? Meaning, it's at the, 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 the dimension, which is, a, which is part of the form, right? The dimensions, and the fact that it's flat, and it's, uh, it's consistency. I like the, the, the whole form of the table is so that it should be utilized as a table. So it's, so it's formed for a purpose. Substance is just substance. But it's formed for a purpose. Okay? So by the angels, now try to understand this in the spiritual realm. Spiritual realms, there is no physical form. There is no physical substance. There is no physicality, right? There's no physicality. So that means there's no substance. There's no there's no matter, right? But it does have an independent form. Meaning it's all god it's all it's a piece of godliness. You say like it's a piece of godliness. So it's leaper. So it doesn't have any independent substance. You know, as I always said, God doesn't exist. He's above existence. Like, he makes existence. But angels do have a form, in, in meaning that they have, a, they have a distinct identity in as much as they have a purpose. We cannot understand a form without a substance of some form. We cannot understand it. So I'm like this. Very, very interesting. You, don't, you also do have elements of creation which have a substance but don't have a form. So the Ram says something interesting. I just want to bring this out. This is where he gets into, into the, the, the physical world. So, aside for explaining how the grand orbits of space work, orbit around the Earth, he says that our Earth is also composed of four circles, one on top of the next. And these are the four fundamental elements of creation, fundamental substances of creation, which are fire, water, earth, and air. Okay? 
we dis- we discussed these four elements in the spiritual sense when we discussed in chapter one the Nevesha Bahamas, which is the animal soul, which is akin, even though it's a spiritual thing, it's a soul, but it's very much akin to the physical world. It also has four components to it, the fire component, the air component, the earth component, and the water component. And each of our natural tendencies, whether it is to be selfish, or whether it is to be angry, arrogant, laziness, all these things come from other components. So for example, laziness comes from birth component and arrogance comes from the air component, etc. So we did touch upon it. But here we want to talk about the actual physical reality in the world. Every single creation, every single creation is made up of all four. Some creations have the earth more dominant. Some creations have the ear more dominant. Some creations have the fire more dominant. Some creations have the water more dominant. Some creations have one or more of these substances more dominant, but every creation composites all four elements. Okay? This is understanding, according to Kabbalah, this is how we understand our world. Now, for example, the element of water is an element which brings together. Right? So you have something in creation which is sticky or or something that's a, adhesive you know that it has a water strong water component to it fire so it splits apart something that is like crumbly for example you know has that component to it things are very heavy you know have, have earth things are lighter you know have ear give me an example but that's in the actual creations which we're familiar with which has substance and form but these substances themselves even without form exist in the earth, exists in, the, in our in our universe, as the Raman describes it, it has four levels, one on top of the next. Fire is the outer one, or the higher one. Ear, water, and earth. Okay, we can understand this very very simply by just giving a short analyzation. Of the nature of our world, the, the creation of the world. Well, what do we learn? We learn that the earth is full of water, right? That means there was earth under and water on top. And Hashem on the third day actively split the waters to make dry land. But in its nature, water is on top of earth. And if you're going to take any earth and throw it into the water, what's going to rise? The water is going to rise, or it's going to go to the bottom, right? Talking about actual water, actual earth. And the same thing will happen with air. Air is obviously rises above the water and fire rises above the ear. How do we understand that? So as soon as human beings have started on this grand exploration, the space, we found out very quickly, I mean, even beforehand, we found out very quickly how it is that fire rises above the earth. We know that the hottest place in our universe is where? Besides maybe the core of the earth, you know, with all that lava. But the hottest place is at the edge of the atmosphere. If you're going to go up, right, 6,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 30,000 feet, it's going to get colder and colder and colder, right? Colder and colder and colder. And then at a certain point, it gets extremely hot, fiery hot at the edge of the atmosphere. And above that, it's again cold again. That's why spaceships... When they leave the atmosphere and they enter the atmosphere, 
It is calculated in exact angles with an exact entry that if not, they'll burn up right below orbit, right below the lowest orbit, talking about the edge of the atmosphere. Anyone who learned Ramon for the past 800 years or so, right, Ramon describes that the fire is above the ear. Now he's talking about the substance, even without form. Even without form. The universe is built one on top of the next. Earth, water, the element of earth, the element of water, the element of, the element of fire, and it's reflected in the actual, as we see it in the actual earth, water, um, um, uh, earth, water, air, and fire. And any creation, which every creation composes all four, but any creation that's going to have uh, a, a emphasis of ear in it is obviously going to rise. Emphasis of fire in it is going to rise even higher. Water, earth is going to, is going to, they, they both sink, but earth even lower. Okay. That's any creation. So now, the, the interesting thing about fire is that although fire, the substance of fire is at the highest levels of the atmosphere, but we do have fire. Obviously, we have bonfires, we have candles, we strike a match, we have fire, right? But because the source of fire is higher, fire has an interesting nature, a nature which is inexplicable. It's just its nature. It's just its nature that it wants to rise up, up to the point that it loses its existence. That's the key here. A, a fire is trying always to leave the wick, to leave. And as soon as the fuel is done, it disappears. It disappears. Where did it disappear to? There's no other, um, uh, there's no other creation that just disappeared, right? Think about it. Fire is strange. It where did it disappear to? It was here, now it's not here. It's like, it's a miracle? No, it's the nature of fire. Inexplicable nature of fire that wants to rise to its source. Try to rise to its source. Like anything wants to go to its source. But it's being held down by the by by the wick and the fuel. As soon as the fuel is done and you lost one component of this of the candle, the wax, the oil, it's done, it disappears. Okay. Now, fire. Therefore, says the Al-Qaeda, is the best analogy for the human soul. And that's why the verse says, Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam. Candle of God is the soul of man. This is a very famous verse, and it's, according, it's on this verse that we have a Kabbalistic you know, custom, which is sourced in Kabbalah. Upon this verse, that we light a Ner Neshama. We light a, a candle at the gravesite. Of people who passed away, we light a candle before Yiskar, right? When we say Yiskar, we remember our departed loved ones. We light a candle, and the custom is in many places that during the Shiva, the custom is you have during the Shiva. Many places people have throughout the entire year a candle burning, based on this verse, because it the best analogy for soul is a candle. Why? Because the same inexplicable nature that a flame has, that the fire has. Is that same explicable nature of the soul, as I'll explain. The fire wants to rise up until it has this nature to become a knot. It literally loses its existence. What happens when a fire, when a fire, when a fire disappears? It disappears. It literally ceases to be a fire. If you're going to go up to the edge of the atmosphere, to the source of fire, to the substance of fire, you don't see fire. You don't see fire. 
because it doesn't it doesn't have that form, right? So the fire is willing to lose its form because because that's how strongly, if it can have sentience, I'm just saying. But that's how strongly the fire wants to leave it. And you see it physically. It's trying. It's it's rising. It's trying to leave. It's trying to leave. The same thing with the soul. The soul has within it a certain spark, a certain fire that it wants to leave up until the point of non-existence. What happens to the soul when the soul leaves the body? What happens to the soul when the soul leaves the body? The answer is it goes back to its source. You know what happens when the soul goes back to its source? It loses its independent form. It loses its identity. Only when the soul is down the body does it have a very distinct identity. As Kabbalah says, the soul is a piece of God which is which 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 was which has the characteristics of a creation. What kind of characteristics of a creation? It's nasa nivra. That's that's the words. It becomes like a creation. What are the characteristics of a creation? One of the, the, the defining characteristics of a creation is that it wants to exist. It wants to exist. It 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 it. it it, it doesn't, there's nothing in its nature that's counter its, its own existence. Okay? In the spiritual worlds, though, it's the opposite. In the spiritual worlds, which the soul resides, in, of which the flame, even though it's physical, gives us a glimpse into, is the opposite. It wants to lose its existence. It's, it's, an, it's, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade to be no more. It's an upgrade to go back to its source. Okay? It's something which, as physical beings with a, with a, with our with our own independent identity, it's hard to uh, it's hard to uh, fathom. That's a fathom. <coughs> this is the nature of Ahava Misoteris, as we're describing now. That hidden love. It's a love, a Hashem, which wants to rise. It wants to go back to its source. It wants to go back to its source so much that, as we described in the last chapter at the moment of truth when a person is given the ultimatum to denounce his connection to Hashem even if a person had throughout his life was not practicing and no connection didn't want to know didn't know wasn't born for 80 years a Jew has a soul and in that soul is that spark at the moment of truth when they're given that ultimatum either cut off, denounce audibly, visibly, denounce your connection to God or die. Time and again throughout history, we have an example of people choosing death. Yeah. That's the last thing a person, the, the instinct to survival is so strong, we do anything to survive. Do anything to survive. How can it be? It's inexplicable. It's inexplicable. You look at this person, you had no connection to it. If you, you, you know, you have a person that his whole life lived a religious lifestyle with Kedusha Hashem, and that defined him, that defined her. It, it makes sense at the moment of truth. You stand up for what you believe in. But we're talking about someone who didn't have the beliefs, but no connection. They don't believe in it. They don't want any connection to it. And time and again, we have documented. We have, we have uh, documented cases, as the story I said the, in, in 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 chapter eighteen of the of the Ghana, the holy the holy thief. Right? These are these are cases that we know of people who had who are so far gone, so far in the dark, so far, so far, yet the moment of truth, they're gonna give up their life. The most the most precious thing a person has is their life. They'll give up anything for their life. 
yeah, they're going to give it up because they're not going right. to denounce Hashem. It's inexplicable. You know why it's inexplicable? Because it's the nature of the soul. Nature. It's just the way it is. The nature of Ahava Mesoteris, which is in the soul, this hidden love, the nature of the love is like a candle. Inexplicably, you don't understand how a flame wants to go back to its source even though it can become a knot. Same thing with the soul. It wants to connect to Hashem even though it will become a knot. Even though it will lose your existence. You'll literally lose your existence and even in the spiritual sense, the soul goes back to its creator. But once it's ignited, once it's ignited, there's nothing stopping it. Even 80, 70, 80 years of, of, of not being in touch with it. That's the nature of this fire left Asha. Now, on a regular, a regular existence, a regular level, on a regular day, it's dormant. It's dormant. We don't feel this love. We don't feel such a thing, right? We don't feel this. That's that's the that's that's the nature of things, like, um, and that's why it's called mesoteris. That's why it's called hidden. And another example analogy, uh, image imagery of this world is like the Flintstones. You have a uh, Two stones you take with you on a trip, and you actually you, uh, even with one, I'm sure against the regular rock would work. You water for a million years, yeah, it still works. Give me in a damn cold cave, it could be underwater, it still works. As King Solomon says, Shalom El says, Mayim Rabim famous, famous, even great waters and not. Lash out, lash out the love. Even great waters. What's great waters? Sassiz explains great waters means materialism. Even someone who's sunk in materialism, sunk in the physical world, sunk in, in everything negative could be. We're talking about even in great sin, sunk in. You're deep in the water. But you're like this stone, which even though you're deep in the water, it's still at any moment. It could spark it. At any moment, it could still spark. What Ava? It cannot flash out, it cannot lash out, it cannot cover the Ava, the love. What Ava? Ava Mesuteris. What we're talking about here in Tanya. It's the love, the hidden love that a person has, no matter what. It can never be lashed out. And part of this Ava Mesuteris, part of this, um, this, um, this hidden love, is also an element of yira, of awe. As we described extensively in previous chapters, the two general categories of emotion are ava, which is the emotion of closeness, yira, which is emotion of distance. Connection of closeness, connection of distance, they're both equally important because the distance is respect, it's awe, it's, it's, a, it's an you know, understanding of, 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 of boundaries and Abba is like hugging and 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 bushy. Included in this Abba Misoteris, as Dr. Abba is also an element of Yira Misoteris, a hidden awe as well. And the way it's included, says Dr. Abba, is if you could just imagine someone, imagine this Abba is actually bursting, burst forth. It's actually ignited. It's a it's such a high love. We're talking about a love. You want to lose your existence. Can you imagine? That's how much love the soul has for Hashem, which consumes you. Imagine even, a, even to a person, if you have such a strong love, hidden underneath that love is a little bit of fear. What? Fear that you're going to do something that they're not going to like. You're going to do something that you'll be rejected, right? Hidden. 
And any great love is underlying the little bit of 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 of, of uh, the element of the distance. Right? You want to love, but you also want to make sure that you're doing it the way that they want, right? Because you want that reciprocated. It's the same thing with this Ava Mesoteris. It could flame when approaching a mitzvah, so say, when approaching a positive mitzvah, doing something Hashem wants us to do. But at the same time, it could also ignite and consume you when faced with something Hashem doesn't want you to do. It could either come in a form of Ava, a form of Yira, which are both the two biggest motivators for the two general commandments. Some things Hashem commands He wants us to do. Some things He wants us to abstain from doing. Right? There's, there's two types of mitzvahs. The Ava, the love connection to Hashem, is what motivates us to do the mitzvahs, the positive mitzvahs, the mitzvahs to do. I love Hashem, so I'll do what He wants me to do. And I also fear Hashem. I'm in awe of Him. I'm in, I'm in a good way, I'm in awe of Him. I don't want to do anything that He doesn't want me to do. Right? So they're both included hidden deeply in the soul, waiting for years and years and years to ignite at the moment of truth. Now what's going to happen is, just giving you the, the, the next five chapters, what the Alter Rebbe is going to attempt to do is absolutely bombastic. Alter Rebbe is going to say, now that you understand how a person inexplicably, it's just by nature, Every Jewish soul has this within them. And that at the moment of truth, it will ignite. And as we've seen it does, is there a way to ignite it? Even in a moment, not a moment of truth. Even on a regular day. Even when faced with a small challenge, not the big challenge. You know, sometimes this massive challenge, you give the person this massive ultimatum. It, it breaks through, as we described in the story, it breaks the Nevesh of Bahamas, it breaks the animal soul, it breaks all of everything that's covering up the soul. The soul bursts forth because it's such a crushing, um, the, 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 the ultimatum itself is so crushing to you. But what happens if you're forced with the ultimatum in a regular life, regular day today, no big ultimatum, no big crushing decision? Is there a way we can tap into this? And if we could find a way, if we could, then we found we struck gold. Because if we have a way we could tap into this, even on a regular day, then you'll be able to train yourself to refrain from negative things and sin at any moment. If, you, if, if, we, if we could find the method, and Dr. Rebbe is confident, I have a method, method for you. And this method is going to be on the next five chapters. And this method is going to be utilizing the greatest capacity that a human being has, his mental, his mental faculties. Using, just appealing to your sense of logic, Alter Rebbe is going to explain some very fundamental Kabbalistic ideas, very fundamental perspectives that we have on the world and Torah. Okay, give us that perspectives, right? A few building blocks of logic. And then he's going to show you that if you follow the logic, if you think about it and contemplate and reflect upon A, B, C, D, and everything, you will be able to unlock what you have hidden within you. And it doesn't have to be a great moment of truth. It could be on the everyday. And it maybe won't be a, a, a flaming, engulfing love that you want to just cease to exist. It will be enough, though, refrain from doing things that Hashem doesn't want us to do and motivate us to do things that Hashem does want us to do. Okay? So that is the Ahava Mesoteris. Um, just um, the, the, the ideas that uh, we learn 
from this chapter. So one of it, in, in terms of connection to Hashem, um, understanding the nature of Adam Esoteris, we could understand, and sometimes we get do get a glimpse of it, right? Sometimes you do have these small moments of truth. Maybe for some people it's the uh, Elon and Kippur. Maybe it's some people it's their wedding day. Maybe for some people it's when a tragedy strikes, right? But now it gives a little bit of understanding of the feeling within. You feel like your soul is moving, your soul is talking, but right? you get in touch with the spiritual side of yourself. At these moments, you understand why that movement feels like like wanting to return to your source. That's what the feeling is like. If, for lack of a better way to explain, to, to describe it, because it's hard to describe such an emotion, especially coming from a spiritual side of you, but it's like you want to just, you want to be like back in the loving embrace of, 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 of you know, your father in heaven, you know, that, that sort of feeling. That, that, that explains it. Why? Because the nature of his soul is like the, like the flame, which always wants to go up. Um, in terms of, um, in terms of, in, in relation to yourself and relation to another person. So what I learned now in terms of relation to yourself is like the, like what we learned about the Flintstone, right? The always, no matter how much, no matter how deep, no matter how deep, this Flintstone always retains the spark. We tend, when we do a reckoning, spiritual reckoning in our own life, we tend to view the water. That's what we will attempt to do. How deep is this water? How deep am I? I'm so deep. I'm so deep. I'm so deep. But look at the stone. Look at who you are. Forget about where you are. Read out where you are. Versus who you are. Right? This stone. If it could speak, it would tell you, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter to me if I'm in a creek or if I'm 100 feet down the ocean. I still get unaffected. In the moment I'm, I'm lifted out of the water, I can be used. It doesn't make a difference. Right? And that's the way we show to ourselves in our own spiritual reckoning. Is that stop viewing the water, start viewing the stone, right? Who the stone is and not where you are, because that's the key. And in relation with another person, this this idea of how the Altar explained how Yira is incorporated in the Ava, we understand that in relationship with, with another person, the truth is that there's two general categories of how to connect to people of closeness and distance, but ultimately, ultimately, they're never exclusive, exclusively mutually ex exclusive ultimately ultimately even if the connection over here with this person is one of closeness underlying closeness is a little bit of distance and that's very healthy because if it's just closeness it's it can become very selfish because you just want to become close you're not thinking that counts reciprocating the other person's reaction and the same thing is the other way around in a connection with distance like a, of awe of reverence underlying is love. There's also a little bit of love over there, and that's very healthy as well. Because if it's just purely just reverence and awe and everything, you slip out of the relationship. It's like this is like this is this is this. the distance can be disconnecting too. In order for this to be connecting, the underlying is a little bit of love. You have a a uh, an aspiration to remain in this connection. You're so awed by this person that you, you keep on coming back. What, what what makes you keep on coming back? Underlying is a little bit of love. So. So in terms of connection to people, we have both of them, and it's very healthy to always have both of them on your plate.